Hello and welcome to Final Games, a podcast about the games that inspired us. I'm your returning host, Liam Edwards, and I welcome you to the 43rd episode of the show, or better known as the first episode of 2017. Thank you for joining us in this bright and hopefully better new year. I hope you had a good Christmas and a new year and got to play all the games Santa got you lots. Kicking off this year, I have one heck of a guest for you. My guest this week has had one of his games appear multiple times on people's lists on this show. Up there with The Witcher 3 and Resident Evil 4, his game has been a staple throughout this show's history. But before said game, he had designed and created multiple games, such as Eternal Daughter, a PC platformer, I'm Okay, a murder simulator, which was a satirical response to the whole Jack Thompson controversy from a few years ago, and Aquaria, a side-scroller that takes place under water. But it wasn't until my guest released a freeware platformer in 2008 for PC called Spelunky that was then eventually remade for the Xbox 360 in 2012 that my guest took the gaming world by storm. With Spelunky being a huge hit, receiving PlayStation 3 and PlayStation Vita ports as well. My guest even wrote a book about his experiences creating it. Avid listeners of the show will know that Spelunky is a developer favourite here on Final Games, which makes me incredibly happy to finally say... Joining me this week is the creator of Spelunky, the excellent Mr. Derek Yu. Hello, Derek. Hi. How are you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me on the show. Very excited to be here. It's excellent to have you. It's been a whirlwind few, I don't know, a week or so since, uh, obviously, Steve's podcast. And I was saying to Steve, Steve, I, I need to get Derek on the show. And then somehow it all through the power of Twitter came together and and you are here now. (laughs) It was a chance Twitter meeting. Yeah. Someone (laughs) tweeted me or included me on a tweet saying that they had bought the Spelunky book based off of the talk that you had with Steve. I guess he was nice enough to mention the book um, when he was recording with you. So yeah. Yes. (laughs) Very cool. It's crazy how these things work out. It is. <laughs> after, after a year of speaking to developers who have said, please, please get Derek on the show. We want to hear what Derek has to say. Um, and thinking, how do I get in contact with this guy? And then all of a sudden, just it all come, falls nicely into place. <laughs> I know. Well, it was meant to be now. I didn't know about the show until that tweet, actually. So after that tweet, I checked out the show. It was really cool. I love the idea. I'm very stoked to be here. Excellent. Um, yeah, I know I'm in good company with people like Steve and, and all the other guests you've had, so I'm very excited to be here. That is awesome. And it, what a way to start 2017. I feel like we've come sort of, again, full circle. We're doing full circles on this show a lot with uh, sort of aspirations I had now sort of all being realized. Going back to last year when we had David from Yacht Club Games, that was the first time Spelunky was ever chosen on the show. And he went on a huge tirade just about how perfectly crafted and well-designed Spelunky was. So it's amazing to finally have you here after it being chosen so many times. I think this is the first time on the show where we've actually had a developer from one of the games that has been chosen on the show prior. So it's all very exciting. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't know. It's extremely gratifying to hear that other developers like the game. Uh, Yeah, I don't know what to say, really. I just, uh, it's extremely gratifying. Big honor. So, yeah. <laughs> it's well as i said it's great and derek you are here because you are a game developer and you make games for a living um but sort of let's talk a little bit about you before we jump into the games i know you're really uh, we spoke before and you're really excited to 
get to talk about these games that you've chosen. I know it's not very often developers get to talk about anything other than their own games, um, which I imagine is why you wrote a book about it, so people could stop asking you questions all the time. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it's, it's really hard to be asked questions about your game and, and come up with stuff on the spot. So writing the book was nice because it gave me a chance to just gather my thoughts, gather other people's thoughts about Spelunky, and then you know put it together in all in an organized fashion because it's it can be really chaotic in my head when it comes to my own games yeah in terms of what do i think about them how do i feel about them uh, a lot of the development is very instinctual when i'm working on the game it's not organized thoughts actually uh, <laughs> i find it to be a very i guess artistic process in that sense so yeah a lot of what i uh ended up writing about the book um, included what other people had said about the game. And I, I kind of took their feedback and I thought about it and I, I kind of put my own feelings into it too. So, yeah, you know, in a strange way, other developers and, and the players of the game put into words things that I was only feeling while I was working on the game, if that makes sense. So that sort of the feelings you had when you were making it maybe because no one ever truly believes like they that something they are creating is going to be good but maybe that sense of feeling where you think actually no this is this is pretty good and this is the feeling i get when i'm making it and then it all sort of becomes realized after you hear other people's thoughts and you're like yeah that's that's exactly what i was going for or thinking at the time right exactly and i think especially with indie development you know the original spelunky that I made the freeware version, it was just me. And so I, I get an idea and it feels good and I put it in, you know, there's no meeting with other people to make sure that it's good. So I don't really have to explain my decisions. I just, it feels right and I put it in. And so, yeah, that's why a lot of times it's, it's later on that I, I put into words, into a more eloquent fashion, <laughs> why i did certain things because at the time yeah it just it just kind of felt right you know yeah it's great because now you have this thing when people constantly barrage you on on twitter or something like what did you do with spelunky with this you can just comment back and be like see amazon link this <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly so let's talk a little bit before spelunky then let's talk about like game design and and how you got into game development then um how did it start? Did you always know that you wanted to make games or was it just like a chance thing that happened? I pretty much as soon as I had experience with games, which is very early on, uh, because my parents had an Atari uh, 2600, I think, when I was born. So I, I played that as, as soon as I could. And then I got Nintendo pretty soon after it came out. And as soon as I played games, I I was enthralled with them and I think right away I, I wanted to make them myself. So I just started with pen and paper, just drawing levels and maps and worlds and characters on paper. And then eventually I got Click and Play, which is a, a game creation tool that came out in the 90s. Yeah, and I joined the Click and Play community and we made games that way as kids. I was like, you know, uh, early teens started making games that way. And... That the click and play community, in a lot of ways, it was like a, it's like an early, early indie game community. It's like a bunch of just very young people sharing games amongst each other. Yeah, 
So that's that's how I got my start. And then eventually I, I met Alec online, Alec Holoka, who's working on Night in the Woods right now. And that's coming out soon. But I met yeah. him online and he had a prototype for a game called, uh, I think it was called Aquaria already. It was a very simple prototype. But uh, he showed it to me and I thought it was really cool. And we decided to just make it into a commercial game. I think in the prototype, it was just like, you just had a mermaid swimming around in a single room, but it was enough to to get me excited <laughs> to wow to wow you over. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I mean, I I like the the way it controlled, and I've always been interested in in underwater things. I like drawing a lot of fish and and killer sharks and things like that when I was a kid. So <laughs> it appealed it appealed to that sense of me too. So what has it been like in terms of making games since Spelunky then? Um, obviously, Spelunky was this freeware game that you made. Um, you, you've obviously spoken about it, it be becoming the game it is now, ported to the Xbox 360 and stuff like that. But what has it been like since Spelunky, since this huge game that at one point I think everyone I knew was playing? <laughs> what is it like designing games now? after such a big hit essentially so i did take a break after spelunky came out on steam and ps3 ps vita and then ps4 was the last port of the game yes yes and i I took a break after we'd kind of gotten everything squared away as far as bugs and things like that go um i took a break i actually became a dad for the the very first time Excellent. So my my daughter was born shortly after after Spelunky came out on on all the platforms, um, and yeah, obviously life slows a lot once you become a parent. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, that's when I got the opportunity to write the book, and I thought this is perfect because I kind of want to wrap up this chapter of my life with Spelunky and stuff, and I don't ha- really have time to do a lot of game making, you know, in the first year or so of my, my daughter's life, but I, I can write a book. I can find some time to, you know, throw some words down. And so, yeah, it was a perfect opportunity. And that, that's what I did for like the first year and a half after Spelunky came out. And since then I've been, I've been getting back into work and uh, it's strange. Things have slowed down because I'm a parent, but it also feels like it's taken on new meaning and I, I feel like I've come out a lot stronger than I was before as a game designer and also as an artist. So I'm not sure exactly why that is. Um, More inspiration, perhaps? Maybe. These sort of new dad feelings? I think so, actually. Just like I'm filled with this sense of love and this new newfound sense of love and I'm I'm working with my family close at hand, uh, my wife and my daughter. And yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I also maybe just when I have time, I'm, I work very efficiently because I, I know that I only have that small amount of time to work. I'm making sure I, I don't burn myself out. So I, yeah, I think, I think it's actually a good time to be working on games as a newish dad, as a, as a completely new dad, as a completely new parent, I think it's pretty hard to to do serious work and i just 
put it aside <laughs> for the most part and and focused on the book. But yeah, now as a newish dad, I, I'm feeling very good about work, actually. That's awesome. Is it, how's it been sort of, because since Belunky, we have had, I, I don't want to say like an explosion of like indie culture almost, um, but we've definitely seen a, a huge rise in an incredible amount of indie games since that sort of early Xbox 360 arcade era um, on like live and stuff like Spelunky and Super Meat Boy. And, and now we have this, it's, it's almost this regular occurrence now where we see uh, it's great stuff from indie creators. Do you sort of maybe feel like you're missing out on that? Or, or are you like, no, no, I, I was, I was there. I'm, I'm the guy <laughs> who made Spelunky. Like, <laughs> it's nice to see what you guys are doing. <laughs> or, or do you still sort of want to be a part of that, that, culture it seems like it's a very in a way close-knit community this sort of indie indie community at the moment it's that's a very good question when i was working on aquaria particularly it was very close-knit things felt very small and personal i was running tick source at the time which is like an indie game website and, and forum uh, and I would regularly see people at the Game Developers Conference, PAX, just all of these conferences and stuff. We'd you'd kind of see the same people, and it'd be, it was very close-knit. You know, it'd be very exciting to see people, and we'd go out and eat and, and drink and talk about games together. And uh, since Spelunky, yeah, I mean, I've been really out of the loop, and I think the indie game community has gotten a lot larger. So I, I have felt like I've been watching it from the sidelines. I don't mind. <laughs> I don't mind. I, I'm very excited by what people are doing and I, I needed the breather anyways. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a, someone who actually needs their time alone to, to recharge. And I, when I get too immersed, I think in the, in the game industry, as a, an industry and, and a community, I feel like I start to lose sight of myself a little bit. I yeah. think you, you just end up getting too immersed in what everyone else is doing. And so, yeah, that, that respite that I've had for the, the past few years has been very, very healthy for me. Um, but I'm, I'm still obviously watching what everyone else is doing, and I think it's, it's great. I, I really I feel good about indie games right now um yeah i don't think there's going to be like an indie apocalypse or whatever i think the <laughs> nature of what indie means is always changing it's always going to fragment it's going to get big and then you're going to have smaller communities splintering off and i think that's just the way of things and it's perfectly natural i think that's how it should be so these days i feel like it's hard to it's hard for me to have like a single conception of indie games in my head because it's so large and because it's so multifaceted. But that was really what I had hoped for indie games when I was working on Aquaria way back when. So yeah, I think, I think things are going well and I just, you know, I want to, I want to kind of come back as, as, you know, I'm a dad in real life, and I feel like I'm I'm a bit of a dad as far as <laughs> indie games go. It, it turned up to GDC, and everyone's like, "Oh, look, it's Grandpa Derek." Yeah, you know, 
I'm not ready to get put out to pasture. I've got plenty of ideas and, and work I want to do, but at the same time, I want to I want to offer my my experience and my my knowledge about yeah. indie games and and all the stuff that I've done and, and help new people out. And the book was a kind of a, a way of doing all of that. So, so let's talk a little bit about games and you then, because um, we are going to go into your list now, but being a dad and being a developer and also writing a book and having to do lots of interviews and stuff on Spelunky. How, how do you, do you find time to play games? Do you put aside time to play games or do you find like most people that now being an adult time is very limited and we don't get to play as much as we would perhaps like to. The nature of my game playing definitely has changed and it's a lot harder for me to find time to sit down and play like a serious a serious serious game um where you know it takes like multiple multiple sessions and it's like there's a whole long narrative and things like that i still try to but i have to be very selective about the games that i choose and i do i do just play a lot more smaller games uh older retro games that i'm i'm familiar with or you know that can be played pretty quickly uh i play i do play mobile games quite a bit and uh yeah, I think the, the nature of my game playing has changed because I'm, I'm a parent now. It's <laughs> <laughs> just stuff you can sort of maybe do handheld on your mobile while, you know, rocking the baby or something. <laughs> yeah, things like that. that. Small bits of time. You know, I found that even the smallest barrier to entry as far as playing a, a game goes can put me off. And a lot of times I, I want to just flop on the bed with the device that's closest at hand, which is usually my phone and just play something for a little while and they get back to work because yeah, the free time that I have, I want to spend making stuff more, more so than playing things, but I still want to play. Excellent. Well, let's talk about the games that you do play then and the games that have made an impact on you and stuff that you would take to this randomly deserted Island uh, where you could only choose eight games for the rest of your life. So Derek, why don't we start and jump into your final games with one game that just like Spelunky has featured quite a lot on people's lists prior as well. So let's kick it off strong and let's dive into Derek's final games. So kicking off 2017, we are definitely looking at an old favorite 
here on Final Games. A game that I think just, from a design perspective, intrigues and uh, is so interesting to so many people. So I'm very interested to hear what Derek has to say about his first game. It is obviously developed by From Software and published by Namco Bandai. Directed by the wonderful Hidetaka Miyazaki, released back in September of 2011 for the PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, and PC. It is, of course, the action role-playing giant that is Dark Souls. Derek, why is the first game that you're taking with you Dark Souls? So, I think anybody that knows me even a little probably isn't surprised by this pick. Um, It's my favorite game, hands down. And... Uh, yeah, I think it, it did two things that were really important. The first was, when it came out, it brought mystery back to mainstream gaming, AAA gaming, in my opinion. And uh, two, it brought strangeness back to fantasy, just fantasy as a theme, like medieval fantasy. Yeah. And, yeah. Oh, no, go ahead. No, I just the, the I, I I never really thought about that before. But you're right. We have a lot of obviously fantasy is maybe sort of kind of a stagnant place with kings and queens and and knights and um, we have a lot of very similar fantasy tropes. But Dark Souls obviously brought this mysterious strangeness into that genre again that we haven't seen for a, a long time. But I hadn't I hadn't really thought. No one's really talked about that before. So yeah, I think when a lot of when people think about Dark Souls, a lot of times I think they're thinking about the challenge, like, oh, this game is so hard. Yeah. Or, oh, it's, you know, it's so masochistic, right? But, yeah, to me, it is a hard game, and I do I do respect that, and I enjoy that. I like challenging games. But it it's really the mystery and strangeness of the game that, that I relish. Um, and it's the fact that the game leaves these it's mysteries as mysteries like these are true mysteries these are these are genuine secrets and and you feel like a stranger in a strange land which is not a feeling that i'd felt from mainstream gaming for a long time i think the last time i i really really felt it was you know back in the the old days i'd say before dark souls my favorite game if you ask me what my favorite game was i probably would have said the Legend of Zelda three or something like that, yeah. Um, and it was Zelda one that that really gave me that feeling, like, you know, what is around that corner? What's 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 in the the mouth of that that rotted tree trunk or whatever? And you know, you step in, and <laughs> the whole world changes, right? And and no one tells you to go there. You have to you have to find it yourself. Uh, there are no there are no real signposts. Everything's very esoteric. Um, you know, you can you can miss the the first cave where you get the wooden sword. I mean, it, it seems unfathomable now. But yeah, when I was a kid playing Zelda One, it just felt like anything was possible. And part of that is that you know they they created. Uh, Miyamoto and the guys at Nintendo, they, they made, I think, uh, a world first. It wasn't, it wasn't just a, how do I put it? I mean, I think they, they focused on, on, yeah, making, making this, this mysterious world first without, without 
worrying too much about whether people were even going to, to get through it almost. I mean, I remember a quote from Miyamoto where he explicitly says they felt like they're taking this huge risk because they this is the first time that they had given players that, that level of freedom. And so Dark Souls really takes me back to that. And in a lot of ways, I feel like it's a true spiritual successor to that first Zelda game. And when I think about Zelda 3 being my favorite game for, for a while, I feel like even by that game, uh, the series had started to take a different direction from Zelda 1. It had already started to become more about puzzles in, in dungeons. The items that you find and using them to correspond with the puzzles in certain areas, that, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so... In a way, I feel like Zelda 1, excuse me, I feel like there was Zelda 1, and then there were all the Zelda games that followed it. And then along another branch, you know, after a long period of time, I actually see Dark Souls going off in, an, in another direction that feels more true to the original Zelda than, yeah, even Zelda 3. So... So what about then Dark Souls in terms of creating something like that with the mystery and then having the challenge that it has as well? Does the challenge appeal to you as well? Is that part of the package? Or is that maybe a barrier sometimes to that game's mysteries? Like maybe you won't see everything because it's too hard. Or Zelda, maybe not so hard. Well, I think that's part of the point is that you're not supposed to see everything and, and the game ha in a way has to not care whether you're going to see it or not. And that's the risk that the developer takes, because I think there's a lot of temptation to show the player everything, make sure the player has found everything, right? And that was something that Zelda 1 didn't do, and I think that's what I was trying to get at with as far as creating the world. Like, yeah, focusing more on creating this, this livable world versus a... A, I don't know, an experience that that the player is supposed to to just be given and led through, right? So yeah. for me, the challenge is is a big part of that, and um, you know, I think Zelda One it, it really was very much an action game and a really difficult game for the time, and I think Dark Souls is is a lot like that, but the challenge. You know, the challenge, I think, that's that's part of Dark Souls, but you could have an, an unchallenging game that has the same kind of mystery. But since Dark Souls is a challenging game, and it's meant to invoke that feeling of, of being a hero in a very antagonistic world, I think, I think it's good that it, it sticks to its challenge. So, yeah, for me, it's not so much about whether the game is challenging or not. So for me, it's less about Dark Souls being hard, even though I like that aspect of it. It's more that it's it's very true to itself. Do you see parallels between Spelunky and Dark Souls? This sort of mysterious world with hidden secrets that not everyone will find and this sort of challenging gameplay that makes the players have to overcome these sequences to see more mysteries in the game? Is that... 
obviously you had the 2008 vision and then the 2012 vision. And I imagine there was not much room for Dark Souls to influence you then. But subconsciously, do you do you see yourself that there are parallels between that? So I hadn't played Dark Souls until I think after the Xbox version of Spelunky came out. So I didn't play it right when it came out. Yeah. And it was because people told me, like, you got to play Dark Souls because you made Spelunky. And I, I they felt <laughs> like there were parallels, like you're saying. And then I tried it and I was like, oh, you're totally right. And I, so. <laughs> Shit, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> so Dark Souls wasn't an inspiration for Spelunky, but I think a lot of the, the same games and, and philosophies, uh, influence both games and actually speaking on the challenge thing i i read a quote from miyazaki where he said that one of the games actually i think he said it was the game that got him into video games was ico so it wasn't even like you know a necessarily a, a like a hardcore action game no that, a mysterious one right exactly so yeah, I think in a lot of ways, Ico Shadow of the Colossus has that game has the, the same the same kind of mystery and and the same kind of respect for the player as far as letting them discover this beautiful world for themselves. I don't know. I just I feel like I feel like developers can really do their own vision for a game in injustice by by leading players through it, holding their hand, you know, because you're really yeah. robbing them of that experience of discovering it for themselves. So what about the series as it's gone on then? Obviously, Dark Souls 2, uh, we had Demon's Souls prior, uh, Bloodborne and Dark Souls 3. Have you still enjoyed the series as it's gone on? Um, or, you know, you're happy with Dark Souls and, you know, that's kind of it for you. Oh yeah, I've totally enjoyed it. Um, I've beaten Dark Souls One, Dark Souls Two, Dark Souls Three. I've not That's beaten good. Bloodborne. I kind of, I, I got to a point in that game, and I think I just because of life reasons had to stop playing for a while, and then I had a hard time getting back into it. Um, I'm probably going to go back okay. at some point, but yeah, the, the whole series is great, and I considered selecting Dark Souls Three as my game instead of dark souls because i do feel like it's a better video game in some ways it's just a smoother experience uh the graphics are better uh but i feel like dark souls one is still the masterpiece in my mind it's just the king <laughs> it is it's it's janky in a lot of ways that dark souls 3 wasn't or isn't but it's just so much more memorable, I feel like. I think when people think about Dark Souls as a series, they're thinking about all the things that happened in Dark Souls 1 and all the characters, really. Uh, just the even the beginning of Dark Souls 1, starting off in the Undead Asylum, is just... It's, it's just so memorable, so amazing. Um, yeah, and I think I think that makes up for a lot of the jankiness and you know there's some areas that pretty much everyone agrees are, are incomplete or they just didn't get to spend enough time on so yeah i think that's one of the, the cases where just the 
I don't know, all the memorable set pieces really make the difference. So I think I would take Dark Souls 1. Excellent. Well, I would absolutely not want to deprive you of taking your favorite game. So (laughs) Dark Souls 1 is an excellent way to start and it will be going with you to the island, which after we listen to this next piece of music, we should talk about where it is you're going. We should have a think about the islands that you're going to be trapped on. So why don't we listen to some music from this next game and let's dive straight into it. So Derek, before we move on to the next game, we have to talk about the island in which we are sending you. This is the part of the show where we we don't we don't want you to be uncomfortable. Uh, twenty seventeen, a fresh start. We we are sending you to a place where there will be no one. It, it'll be just you in these games. Um, but we don't necessarily want you to be uncomfortable. So we allow you the choice of the place you're going to be deserted, and it has to be from a video game. It has to be a world from a video game. Um, so is there any sort of world or picturesque landscape from a video game that really sticks in mind that you wouldn't mind chilling out? So I did listen to another show. Yeah, I listened to Steve's show before I came on. So I was aware of this and I did think about it a little <laughs> bit beforehand. <laughs> uh, so I'm actually going to go with Skyloft, which is the island or series of islands i guess from zelda skyward sword that's a good choice no one's picked skyloft before and it is rather a beautiful place which is interesting because i really don't like that game (laughs) that's also understandable a lot of people do say that (laughs) yeah because for me kind of picking picking up from our dark souls discussion skyward sword to me is kind of like the pinnacle of that other branch as far as just it's puzzly dungeons and, and uh, collect <laughs> item here to unlock this thing here. Uh, yeah. So I don't. I didn't really like the game, especially because it was it had a very long tutorial in the beginning, which I also don't like. But the world, as far as being stranded on, you know, in a place, I think it'd be great. It it is an actual island, but it's floating in the sky, which I think would be so cool to be on. I don't know. That just... definitely would be floating in the sky, playing video games, and it seemed to always be sunny in Skyloft as well. Like it was always above the clouds, so yeah. it seemed to always be sunny. Yeah, um, that sounds like an excellent place to be. I did want to ask you a question though, which is that go on. I know there aren't supposed to be people or like sentient beings in this deserted island. Yeah. What about animals? 
So are you asking about the birds that you can fly between the islands? Yeah, exactly. That, I, I would allow it. I they they seem smart, but not smart enough to okay. help you. Yeah. And, and in true Zelda design fashion as well, you can't actually use them to fly very far. You have to do like a certain amount of, I can't remember what it is, but they have like a certain amount of energy, kind of like Epona does with the carrots. So right. you can't really fly very far distances with them either. So I wouldn't be afraid of you escaping either. So I would allow it. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm very happy with my pick then. I mean, it's got you it all. It's, got, it's got nature. It's got some buildings I can hide and sleep in when I need to. It's got birds that, that'll let me fly from island to island in the clouds. Sounds great. I'll take that. Excellent. Well, heading to Skyloft you are with Dark Souls and this next game, which is a game I've never heard of, but obviously being in Japan, the name of this game, I shouldn't get wrong. <laughs> it's a it's a bullet hell shooter developed by Bullet Hell King's Cave, obviously. Um, it released uh, in Japan in the arcades and also for the Xbox 360, but worldwide it only released for iOS systems. It released all the way back in 2006 originally with an iOS version coming in 2012. Um, it's a game called Mushi Hime Sama Futari, which, if my Japanese is any good, means something like Bug Princess 2? Bug Princess Duo or something? Um, something about bug princesses <laughs> is what I imagine this game is about. Yep. So, Derek, Mushi Hime Sama Futari, why are you taking this game with you? So, while I was working on Spelunky, I kind of got into the shoot-em-up community and, and shoot-em-up games in general, which is interesting because I didn't really play them that much when I was a kid. I think I was most familiar with maybe like Gradius for the NES, right? And yeah. I, I did play them a little bit, but it was always like, oh, it's, it's really hard. You die you kind of replay the same first level over and over again. And then you just, you just keep dying. And, and yeah, I'm going to go play something else like Zelda or a platform or something like that, that I'm better at. Um, but yeah, I, I, I got into them again and I got into the community again uh, while I was working on Spelunky. And it's, it's a very interesting community. It's a very interesting genre because it's one of the oldest genres, right, of video games. In fact, I mean, yeah, I think Space War or something was, was basically a, a shoot-em-up. So, yeah, it's, it's very old. It feels very pure in the sense that you're just controlling a ship on a scrolling screen and just shooting things. Yeah. Um, but... Whereas gaming in general has sort of passed this genre on, you have developers in Japan that have kept making games in this genre for, for fans, especially for people who played in the arcades, and just developing and innovating in this, this very old, very pure, very now niche genre. Um, so it was interesting to me in the way that, that roguelikes were interesting to me, although I had more personal enjoyment of roguelikes when I was, when I was younger. Um, but it, it was interesting in that sense, like what happens when you take something like this and, and keep developing it for 
the most hardcore fans kind of out of the prying eyes of the mainstream. And what you get is something like Mushihime Sama Futari, which is, <laughs> yeah, it just, it, it's an absolutely bonkers bullet hell shoot 'em up. Um, and kind of like roguelikes too, I, I think Mushihime Sama Futari got a little bit of notoriety when someone released a video on YouTube showing the final boss just spraying pink bullets across the screen. A like, screen full of particles nothing you can't see the ship or anything yeah exactly <laughs> it was like take the paint bucket you know click <laughs> fill screen with with pink bullets and people are just like what what is this and, and it's similar to roguelikes because i think i think roguelikes got a lot of notoriety from dwarf fortress where people just looked at the game and they're like what is this you know it's like they unearthed <laughs> this this cave with this ecosystem that had been living away from from everyone else for for decades or something like that, right? And, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, cave and and there's some some other well known shoot 'em up companies like Psycho and Raising have been producing shoot 'em ups. Sadly, they don't they don't really do it anymore. Um, but for a while, they were still producing shoot 'em ups regularly and yeah because i remember being in university during the sort of peak of the 360 era and i remember going and picking up i picked up like dodon patchy resurrection death smiles um and a few other games like that and i really got into cave bullet hell shooters and then a lot of them got ported to like ios and i was playing them on them but i haven't really played any since then but it was nice finding this sort of genre i'd never really played before and being like wow why have i not played this before this is so much fun yeah that's the thing they actually yeah they made it the games a lot more fun like that once you understand them and understand how they work and how they're supposed to be played it's like yeah this is a lot of fun but when you first look at it you're like what is going on you've got to be a, a robot to play this at all to even get that <laughs> but you realize Some... they've they've made They've made changes to it, to uh, these games, to make it so that you can do it. Like, I, I don't have supernatural reflexes. I don't even have great reflexes. I've got, at best, above average reflexes just from playing video <laughs> games. But yeah, I can, you know, I can get to, like, level four in Mushihime Sawa Futari on one credit, which is, is pretty decent. But since I'm going to be on this desert island... I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna bring this and I'm gonna try to to one credit clear it. Oh, but yeah. Which, it, which version do you play? Which version do you? I play? have it on Xbox 360. Okay, so you actually have like the Japanese Xbox 360 version. That's no, cool. it was actually released region free for Xbox oh. 360. Ah, yeah. okay. So it is the Japanese version, but I'm playing it on an American Xbox. Um, but yeah, did, oh yeah, I never really explained what the changes they made to the the games were but you know they like reduced the hitbox of the of the ships to very tiny so it's like you don't die when the bullet hits your sprite you die when it hits like this tiny pixel in the middle of the sprite the, yeah the center of the ship or yeah something. things like that and didn't, th didn't they introduce something like a weight mode as well where you could like pause it and sort of figure out a path or something i remember like one game i played had this like kind of like once a, 
a level wait mode where you could pause it and then you could sort of figure out a path through the bullets to survive like a, an onslaught or something. I, I think remember. that might be one specific game. I don't think that I think most of the games let you do that. Yeah. But I but yeah, they're they're all actually very different. I mean, they have uh I don't know, different scoring systems, themes and a lot of them have very interesting gimmicks. You've got stuff like Ikaruga with the polarity system, which is very very interesting. Uh yeah, so it's 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 an extremely diverse and interesting genre of games and it was it's cool to see how they've how they've developed it without having to make changes to get more casual players into it just like servicing this hardcore fan base what does the genre become and it's like (laughs) well yeah it just more bullets more explosions just bigger better (laughs) everything sounds awesome yeah but it's still just a shoot 'em up and I, I picked this this one in particular because I, I've tried a bunch of bullet hell shoot 'em ups since getting into the the whole scene. Still, just I'm still just a casual observer and lurker. But yeah, since I got into it, I, I wanted to try all these different shoot 'em ups, and Mushihime Sama Futari was the one that clicked with me best um, as far as the the scoring system goes and the game mechanics. And I, I really like the graphics; they're they're extremely just garish in a pleasant way in a way that i like um yeah i don't know i I like the theme with all the all the bugs it's just a it's a very beautiful game and uh and yeah on a desert island i I would have plenty of time to to get better at it which i don't right now so (laughs) you can become one of those bullet hell masters you can record youtube videos of you defeating the final boss right exactly yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we're going to move on to your next game now. Um, another sort of juxtaposition going from Dark Souls to a bullet hell shooter to this next game, um, which is a classic, a Nintendo classic. Um, so why don't we listen to some excellent music from this next game and let's dive straight into it. Derek's next game is a Super Nintendo title that was released all the way back in 1994 for the SNES. It was was developed by Nintendo IRD team and published by Nintendo, directed by Makoto Waeda and Yasuyuki Oyega. It's just one of the the, the maybe not unknown, but a little lower on the tier of Nintendo franchises. But thanks to stuff like Smash Brothers has had a resurgence in recent years. I am, of course, talking about the boxing video game, Super Punch-Out. Derek, 
Super Punch-Out. Why are you taking Super Punch-Out with you? I know. You know, this game... I think if you'd asked me a few years ago, this game wouldn't even have been on my radar, even though I did play it quite a bit as a, as a kid. But it's it's just steadily risen in the ranks in my mind. Um, I think... I don't know. I just... Whenever I hear about this game or see it, I just I just want to play it and and just beat it from from beginning to end again and the more i think about it the more of a brilliant gem this game is uh i think of it as kind of an action puzzle game actually in the sense that you're trying to figure out what is the the weak point of each of the fighters but it's i don't know it's it's my kind of puzzle game in the sense that there isn't one solution it's like what you're trying to solve is how to how to knock down these these boxers, but there there are a lot of different ways of going going about it, and you can try lots of different things, and you can kind of like eke out a victory when you first play, but then through successive plays of uh, through successive fights with each of the boxers, you get to learn their patterns, and then you start to learn how to counterattack, which is which means you punch them right before they punch you, but it's a big risk. I don't know. There's, there's just, there's a lot of great stuff going on in a very, very simple package with super punch out. And it's, yeah, it's just one of those games that I, I replay pretty regularly. So how did it sort of become more on your radar? What, what changed that you had played it when you were a kid and then was it just replaying it as an adult and then realizing, whoa, how did I not appreciate it before? Or was there something that happened that made you think a little more about the game? I think I, I always enjoyed it when it came out. Um, but just as an adult, I really started to appreciate just how well designed it was. I think, yeah, I don't know. Just all the years that I've spent making games myself has, has given me, I just, I don't know. It's given me a different view of things than when I was a kid. So I, I, there are things that I can appreciate a lot more now. And I think Super Punch at it, it really shows off something that Nintendo is great at, which is making a fun game. So, uh, yeah, you know, I, I don't think of Super Punch. It's not a boxing sim, right? Like it's no, it's just a very fun video game that has a boxing theme, but the theme works perfectly with with what you're actually doing uh you know what you're actually doing it's like a it's just a timing based puzzle game it's an action puzzle game is the way i think about it and i just i love solving the puzzle of each boxer that you fight it's like oh you know this is mr sandman and he he you know he's got these like really fast jabs and then it's followed by his, you know, this this series of moves, and and you've got to do this and that. But it's, I don't know, they they, I like the freedom that it gives you as far as solving the puzzles go, where you can kind of feel things out with just by throwing a punch here, seeing seeing if it works, it gets blocked, and then in the end, it ends up feeling a lot like how I would imagine boxing would actually be like like it, it does feel like boxing but because they designed it as a video game first and and the boxing is just the theme that supports it it ends up being 
a lot more fun than most boxing games, I would say, that try to be more realistic. It's it's weird because boxing is this kind of strategic sport almost. At the same time, I, I, I don't really know anything about boxing, but obviously a lot of people talking about the strategy of figuring out your opponents, getting inside their heads. Um, and Super Punch-Out does sort of do that in a way, not getting into your opponent's head, but figuring your opponent out, like truly not just punching your way through something, but figuring out the timing, figuring out and um, then beating them by tactics, almost. So, uh, in a way, it is more of a boxing sim than uh, realistic boxing games. <laughs> I get, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. And I think what it is is that Nintendo captured the spirit of boxing. As far as I can tell, as a as a lay person, when I when I watch boxing, when I hear about it, when I read about it, it feels like it captures the spirit of boxing. And the way they did that is they designed a video game first. Whereas I think trying to design a simulation of boxing that feels realistic ends up not capturing that spirit quite as well. uh, Because in the end, you're not really boxing. You're still just sitting there with a controller. So Nintendo being experts at making video games designed the experience to be played with a controller and then yeah and then it's a it's a boxing themed action puzzle game that's that's what i <laughs> call it but it ends up being a success both ways and i love the characters i mean they're some of them are kind of questionable as far as stereotypes go and things like that but yes <laughs> they're very cartoony and expressive and that's what nintendo does really well and yeah, that just the taunting before the matches and things like that. I don't know. It's just it's just a very enjoyable experience, and I think if I brought it to a desert island, if I brought it to Skyloft, I would probably play it regularly. Yeah, for for the whole time. You know, I would I would play it. I would take a break from it, play one of the other eight games, and then I would keep coming back to it. Have Have you beat Mike Tyson? Have you Have you the whole legendary oh, well, punch out. Mike Tyson isn't in, in Super Punch he, Out. He's in, he, yeah, he's not in Super Punch Out. But have you gone back and played Punch Out and beaten Mike Tyson just to be like, I am the Punch Out King. I, I, I am meant. My mental fortitude can even beat Mike Tyson. I, I did beat Mike Tyson in the original Punch Out. Yeah, that is excellent. That is good. I remember <laughs> because I was, I was pretty young, and I remember after I did it, I called an older family friend. And told him, I was like, I just beat Mike Tyson. And I don't think he was that excited. I think he was like, why are you calling me? But but because I called that friend, like, I totally remember the moment that I beat Mike Tyson. <laughs> the elation that you must have felt yeah. as a child. I finally beat Mike Tyson. Oh, my God. I, I, may, I may have used the code to get to him. But I have. Okay, I have but still beating him. Yeah. Beating him is hard. I'm pretty sure I've gotten to him. Without the code, but when I actually beat him, I probably put in the code. And I actually remember the first three digits of that code, 007. So, there you have it. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Well, we're going to move on to your next game now. And it's a game I don't know anything about. And I imagine this is somewhere in your timeline where roguelikes became a thing in your life. um, Depending on when you originally played this game. So, why don't we listen to... 
something from this next game. I don't think there is any music <laughs> available. Um, and let's dive straight into it. Sank in lava. Corwin turned to slime. They could both see what was coming, but they couldn't pray in time. Pinky fought a soldier ant that crawled out of his backpack. They were all in love with Diane. They were doing it in NetHack. Bertha swung Mjolnir like a Valkyrie in the rain, and she lost her mind in Sokoban, a flayer ate her brain. They were all in love with Diane, using every keyboard function as they tried to find the amulet somewhere in the dungeon. I don't mind the text sometimes, the images it shows. Running from the D's and L's and killing all the O's. Faded prints and subtle hints and fortune cookie lies. Remember ID all your stuff until your ad sign dies. So jumping in to Derek's next game, we have a roguelike video game. That was originally released in ASCII graphics all the way back in 1987. I I don't know anything about this game, but it's a game called NetHack, and Derek is taking it with him. So Derek, please tell me about this game and why it deserves to be on this list. So this is the roguelike that was probably the most direct inspiration for Spelunky, because this is the one that I played the most. And when I was a kid, I played hack which is like the spiritual prequel to net hack and hack had just ascii graphics and it was on a, a disc that my parents had i think they brought it back from grad school and i just you know they had like they had like university documents on it but they also had some games and i, I played a lot of those games and one of them was hack and hack is a, it's a traditional roguelike, so is NetHack, and it came out pretty. Su- Hack came out pretty soon after Rogue, I think. I don't think it came out too long after Rogue, but yeah, that was the that was the game that got me into into roguelikes as a kid. And then when NetHack came out, they added they actually added graphics. You could still play with ASCII if you wanted, but they added graphics, which I like. I like the tile graphics in in roguelike games, and I spent quite a bit of time fiddling with NetHack. I've probably spent more time reading about the game than actually playing it because it is extremely difficult and requires a lot of, like an encyclopedia's worth of knowledge to get through. So (laughs) I've never actually beaten this one. And yeah, I may as well spend my time on a desert island actually beating it. You're giving yourself a, a, a good amount of goals to achieve. I, I like this. People just take these games to pass the time, but you have goals. This is good. Yeah, I, I need to have something to, to aim for. Otherwise, I'm, I'm just going to get too depressed, I think. Or I'm just going to spend all my time flying around on birds. <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is also pretty, it is pretty damn good. Yeah. So what is it you exactly do in this game, then? So the goal of the game is to go to hell actually and get the amulet of yendor and then bring it back up so you start on the first dungeon level you go down you get the amulet of yendor then you've got to bring it back up to the first level and then you actually go past the first level to the elemental planes 
And then eventually you get to the astral plane and you have to sacrifice the amulet of Yendor. But... <laughs> it sounded like you were just reading generic fantasy tropes 101, the book. Then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. But it's it's pretty insane, the, the level of depth and, and detail in this game. And there's just so much going on. It's so much you can do. Even just on the first dungeon level, it's like, I don't know, you can run into literally a kitchen sink like that's one of the things that can appear in the game is a sink and i think they threw that in just as a joke because of how much other stuff there was in you know that old expression everything but the kitchen sink so they threw it in um and then it's like what can you do with a sink well if you have rings which are pretty common in, in fantasy media but if you have rings you can take one of your rings and throw it into the sink and then the ring will like clank around and depending on what sounds it makes is bouncing around in the sink. I think you can identify the ring, like what kind of ring it is, but you also lose it because it goes down the sink. <laughs> but that's the kind of weird, like tongue in cheek humor the game has. And it's very self-aware. Uh, so I, I don't know. It's, it's a lot of fun, but I, yeah. It's incredible depth for a game that came out in, 87 yeah totally yeah and uh i think that's why roguelikes are so so interesting yeah they, they went down to just a completely different evolutionary path they started out like super complex and barely improved their graphics over decades so yeah it's 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 kind of funny to think because when hack and nethack were around i mean they're they're close contemporaries to games like super mario brothers which by comparison is a lot less complex but is obviously just a lot better looking and a lot slicker game i mean they're they're both great games super mario and and hack but it's like they're, they couldn't be any more different so yeah it's it's cool i i, I would like to i feel like i i don't have my roguelike cred also, so I would like to get that on this desert island. <laughs> I have not beaten a lot of roguelikes. I really haven't. Is roguelike a big genre for you in terms of actually playing? Or was it sort of like a, a, something that just fitted for the idea you had for Spelunky? I actually did play Hack and NetHack quite a bit when I was younger. Uh, I, yeah, it was probably the best game that my parents had on those discs that I played on my PC at the time. So I played a lot of hack. I just never really got very far. I mean, there weren't wikis and stuff that I could really look up at the time. And I, I kind of didn't have the patience. So I, I, I did play them quite a bit back then, but I never really got very good at them. And, and yeah, I mean, there are things about them that, that I didn't like. Um, I don't know. I I wasn't such a fan of having to just memorize all this esoteric info. And, and you know, it's partly why I made Spelunky. Is like, there are some things about roguelikes like I love. I just absolutely love. But then there are things about them that that kind of bother me and are keeping me from, from playing them as much as I, I would normally. And so that's kind of why I made Spelunky. Because, yeah, I, I mentioned Super Mario Brothers and Hack being close contemporaries, and they're both games that I played quite a bit as a kid. 
and they both had things that I really like and and didn't like too. And so mixing the parts of them that I like into a game was kind of how Spelunky came about. Excellent. Well, you now have it. You do have your roguelike cred. You you live up to the <laughs> roguelike reputation <laughs> that you hold. Um, so we can put that to bed now, and we can move on to an, another sort of jump in genre. Almost, we're having we've got a nice, well-rounded amount of games from various types and various genres that cross. So I'm very interested to hear what you have to say about this next game because I live in Japan, and at one point this was pretty much the biggest game. In Japan, every everyone was playing it on the train and in school and everything. Um, it's dropped off in popularity recently due to some other popular mobile games. But this game for a long time was just massive. So let's listen to some music from this next game and let's dive straight into it. game that Derek is going to be taking with him to the wonderful and beautiful Skyloft Island from uh, Skyward Sword is a mobile game that released back in 2012 in Japan and just basically took Japan by storm and everyone was playing it. It was just the, just every advert on TV, even recently still, was adverts about this game. Um, it's a puzzle game that Combines elements of RPGs and strategy games and match games and it, it just this weird amalgamation of different genres that worked. And it made the developers Gung Ho Online a lot of money and surpassed like 50 million downloads worldwide. It's the huge mobile title Puzzle and Dragons or Puzzleu and the Dragons, which is known <laughs> in Japan. <laughs> Derek, Puzzle and Dragons, why does that deserve? A spot on your very very limited eight games yeah so i picked this because i probably will be playing this forever in real life <laughs> um <laughs> i got totally obsessed with this game when i started playing it for about a year it was like the only game that mattered for me i, I picked it up uh, i think it was like a year and a half ago so I, I'm now in the phase where I'm not totally obsessed with it, but I still pick it up and play it at least every other day. And yeah, it really surprised me. I don't know how I found out about it, but when I did, I downloaded and tried it out. And my first impression was that it was going to be just a really lame Pokemon ripoff with <laughs> just bad mobile crap kind of jammed into it. You know what I mean? 
Um, yeah, because absolutely. the title screen just has these three monsters, and each one has a different element associated with it. It very, it definitely looks very Pokemon-like when you first see it. Yeah, it's free to play. Um, it's a match three game, so I was just imagining very casual Pokemon ripoff with in-app purchases. So yeah, I had, people are talking about it so much. I'm going to try it out, but I am fully expecting to just hate everything about this game with the core of my being and no i got totally obsessed with it and it kind of changed my view on both uh both match three and free to play in a bit in a way because yeah i mean i think there's still aspects of the the in-app purchase microtransaction stuff that that's problematic and i don't like hearing people say that they blew like thousands of dollars on the game and they didn't really want to like that's bad but yeah it the game does work like it totally works and the basic mechanics of matching unless there's a game that that did it this well before i think it just totally revolutionized the whole match three genre i just can't imagine doing match three any other way Um, And for people who are unfamiliar, the way it works is you have a grid full of colored orbs, like in most Match 3 games. But instead of just swapping two orbs and seeing what happens, you pick an orb and then you have a certain amount of time to drag that orb anywhere you want on the grid. And once time runs out or you release the orb, then it makes the matches, right? And so just that change makes all the difference because and now it's like this this thing where you have to plan almost a, a route around the board with your orb and then you have to execute it which is easier said than done so it ends up being this really cool thing with a lot of tension where uh yeah there's like a planning aspect and then an, an action aspect And there's just a lot of tension between that Um, because you are going through dungeons and you are taking like a party of characters and monsters into dungeons and what you end up doing with the, with your board ends up, you know, being reflected as, as combat. And it's, it's a beautiful game. The the characters and monsters that you collect in the game are, are really, they look just look really nice. They're static, they don't animate, but they're beautifully illustrated. And it's it's a lot of fun to collect. I know that in Japan there's a big culture with the um I might be mispronouncing it, but is it gachapon? Yeah, gachapon machines. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I, I can see that influence on Puzzle and Dragons, obviously. But it is very there are so many things in Japan based around the concept of random chance getting an item or monster type thing and puzzle and dragons harness that very well right <laughs> that appealed so much to japan right and it is a lot of fun like i do I, I like rolling for for new monsters and seeing what i get and it's got that i mean it's kind of like magic the gathering too or, or one of those collectible card games just seeing what you're getting in a booster pack right and then, yeah, it is absolutely very similar, yeah. It, it is similar to Magic the Gathering in some ways because because it is a game that actually involves a lot of skill, but it also involves luck in terms of what 
in magic, it's what cards you get, and in Puzzle and Dragons, it's what, what monsters you get. Um, I think the one thing I will say in defense of Puzzle and Dragons microtransactions is that you can have a perfectly healthy playing experience without spending a single cent on it. They're very generous with the stones and stuff they give you. And in a lot of ways, that that limited quality of stones and stamina that you use to play the game lends the battles a lot of tension because it's like, well, this is kind of my one chance for the next X number of hours to, to actually try to defeat this really difficult dungeon. Yeah. So have you, have it you, does have add you to the play experience. Have you spent a lot of money on this game? Have you, yeah. Or are you, I mean, <laughs> not a lot. Not a lot. But I've, I've, but a bit. I've spent over 100 bucks on it. <laughs> I'll just be honest. I've spent over 100 bucks on it. I don't, I don't spend any money penny, anymore. Not a penny wasted, in your opinion. I don't think so, because it's like, I played it so much for the year that I was really into it. And yeah, it's it's a problematic game, but I can't deny that it's it's very would you, good. Would you have a problem going forward in the future being on an island where you couldn't spend money on it? Would you be okay with the systems that are in place by the game um, to get by by just using it for free from now on? You know what? Now I would actually really relish that. And even if I could spend money on it, on the desert island uh, in Skyloft, I wouldn't. I'd just see how, how I could do without spending money. Yeah. But for me, it was like... That's good. I don't know. I just I really enjoy the game, and and so I didn't feel bad giving money, and when I didn't want to give any more money, I, I stopped. So... Yeah, that, that, that's fine, I think. There have been games that I have spent money on in, in the past that I've been free to play, but I, I've never feel like there's been a game that has taken money from me for, I don't know, insidious reasons that I regret. So it's good that you you don't have any regrets about <laughs> it. And that, you, that, you, it, it's, that it's such a good game that you're willing to on this very limited of only eight games, it deserves a spot. I think people feel differently about it than they do Magic the Gathering because in Magic the Gathering, you actually get real cards that you can play. Yeah, physical, physical things. But that's not even the case anymore with like online Magic the Gathering or games like Hearthstone and things like that. So it's, it's definitely a new type of business model for games and it's i'm i think we should keep discussing what the the problems with that that model are because yeah i i stopped when i didn't want to play pay anymore i know some people can and i know the game does kind of take advantage of that but uh it is also a really good game that's good. <laughs> well, it's better than it being a bad game and spending loads of money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which would no. which would be a, which would be a terrible thing. <laughs> yeah, because I think if it's a bad game and it, and people are spending tons of money on it, then it the game is probably relying a lot more on psychological trickery, right? Yeah, manipulation of stuff. 
Yeah. Speaking of which, Dan- Danny O'Dwyer, formerly of GameSpot, now of Noclip, who previously was on Final Games, he did a very, very good video last year about loot-based manipulation in games like Destiny that make you play because of manipulative systems that keep giving you tiny bits that expect either money from you for if they're free-to-play games or just the way they manipulate players into either spending more time playing the game or spending more money. So it's a really intriguing and kind of controversial thing that maybe has died down in recent years, um, this whole DLC and free-to-play, um, you know, in-game purchases and that kind of thing. But it's still sort of a hot topic in various areas. Yeah, and I think people should keep talking about it. Uh, yeah, I just... Puzzle and Dragons Pad is, is, is a very good game, though. <laughs> I, like, I like it a lot. I don't like it as much as I did for that, that year that I was really obsessed with it, but I'm going to keep playing it. They keep evolving <laughs> it and adding new mechanics that are very cool. Like that, that uh, whole system of, I don't know if they have a name for it, but moving the orbs around, it, there's a lot of depth to it. So they're not, yeah, they're not adding just, uh, it hasn't jumped the shark. Like the new mechanics that they're adding are actually very interesting. So it's, it's an idea that has a lot of depth to it. Excellent. Well, you can take it with you to Skyloft and you can uh, try it for yourself for free and see how long it how long it truly does last <laughs> with the limited scope of it being free. Um, we have spoken a little bit about the game you made, but there's a game I worked on a few years ago for a long time, and it's a game that's coming up next in your list, which is crazy. You are my guest, and you are going to talk about a game I actually worked on, and... I'm very intrigued to hear why you chose this game. I, I d- wouldn't picture you being a player of such a game, uh, considering the other games that you've chosen as well. So I'm very intrigued to hear about what it makes this game, what makes this game so special that you would choose it as one of your eight. So why don't we listen to some music from this next game and let's dive straight into it. Coming up next on Derek's list is a game that was developed by Rockstar North and published by Rockstar Games. It was released all the way back in, what was it, 2013, after a long, long time (laughs) of working on this game. It was released for PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360, and then released once again for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC. It is the 
the highest selling video game of all time. It is the crazy successful open world action adventure game, Grand Theft Auto Five. Derek. So this was a big big piece of my life, so I'm very interested to hear why why this is on your list. First of all, I just want to say you're very good at the intros to the games. Like you're getting me very excited even though I know what the games are. <laughs> <laughs> I've had plenty of practice now. <laughs> and actually before I start, I wanna hear what your role was in GTA five. I'm very curious. So I was one of the multiplayer QA um we rockstar has a special testing studio um there is a studio called rockstar lincoln and we are the localization house and the the testing suite for rockstar games and during which obviously grand theft auto 5 being this huge project that when i came into i started working rockstar all the way back in 2012 um we were working on five and it was picking up steam and i was put onto the multiplayer team so i was one of the what we call like bug vetters and the people who sort of coerce a uh, sort of talk between the devs and the the testing studio on mostly the multiplayer aspect of the game i did do some stuff on single player as well but during most of my time was spent um being in charge of a lot of the multiplayer stuff so I don't know whether you played the multiplayer, but I imagine the single player is mostly what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> I haven't played the multiplayer, but if it's allowed... God damn it, Derek, you I... disappoint me. You disappoint me. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I, but, you know, that's one of the reasons why I picked it too is, you know, I can try it out, right? That's very true. I get to play it. Yes. And that it offers even more things to do in this already huge game that... I probably wouldn't get through single player. I mean, I can certainly get through it, but as far as, you know, running out of things to to do in this big world, I think it would take me a while. Um, why did I pick GTA 5? I've, I've... Yeah, I never... I, I wouldn't picture you as someone who would... in Like, I don't know. Obviously, I don't know you that well, but from the choices that we've had so far on this list, I wouldn't imagine GTA 5 being that sort of thing that would fit in with the rest of the, the games on this list. Well, the games that I picked, they are very different from each other, and that is on purpose. This is not a top eight favorite games list. I did pick it for the Desert Island, and I yeah. so I did choose a variety of games to play, and I actually enjoy a variety of games, like a very wide variety of games. Um, I even considered, I guess you could call Super Punch-Out a sports game, but I, I even considered some more traditional sports games like NBA Jam and Mutant League Football for the list because I enjoy them so much. But yeah, GTA V, I've played every single one of the GTA games since they came out. I, I like the original GTAs a lot. Once the series switched to 3D, I started playing each one with my roommate. Um, now I live with my wife, but when I didn't, we'd play... GTA games together, my, my roommate and I, and uh, he's also he's also one of my best friends. So yeah, it was like it became kind of our tradition. Like a new GTA game comes out, we buy it and we sit every night and and play it. And I I just I really enjoy them as the kind of violent open world sandboxes that that they are. 
And I think that's something that I'm going to want to do on this desert island. I've got all these other games. I think there's going to be plenty of times where I just want to drive around in a car and, and cause mischief in, in GTA five. <laughs> I think murdering people and destroying <laughs> stuff is, uh, and calling it mischief is, uh, is an understatement. <laughs> yeah. I, I suppose, I suppose you're right. I should just, just go out and say going on, on killing sprees. Um, completely safe virtual killing sprees where no one actually gets hurt but yeah no one actually gets hurt <laughs> but yeah i mean i what gta the gta games do that do that very well uh and i i did think about some other games that are that are similar like i really like sleeping dogs what a game i love that game yeah i love that game i wish one day someone would pick that so i could i could talk about it on this show that is an excellent game. i i almost picked sleeping dogs over gta 5 because see even though i worked on gta 5 i would have not been insulted if you chose that <laughs> over gta 5 for what was it it was 2012 i i think sleeping dogs came that out. sounds I right I think that was I think that was my game my favorite game from that year. It was I love that game so much. That game is so good and I think it does a lot of things better than GTA 5 actually. Like agreed. I enjoy the missions in that game more than in GTA 5 and I, I found myself drawn into the story a little bit more. But yeah, I don't know. I I think the reason why I picked GTA 5 over that is GTA 5 just has this expansiveness that Sleeping Dogs didn't. And I think as a desert island game, I'd probably rather have GTA 5. I think that was the thing that for me, Sleeping Dogs was kind of missing, was it just didn't feel quite as expansive. As a game, I kind of appreciate, just as like, a, I don't know, as a video games, as art, I guess, I... I feel like Sleeping Dogs is better because I do kind of appreciate tight design and I, I like the mission design a little bit better than Sleeping Dogs. Yeah, um, there were a lot of things about Sleeping Dogs that sort of balance gameplay with the sort of obviously hard type story it's trying to tell as well. The combat is, I think, excellent in Sleeping Dogs, but then you have like the driving, which is it's kind of like need for speed and really arcadey and it doesn't quite fit the realism that the game goes for, but it works on a on a gameplay level to make the game a lot more fun. Right. Um, but maybe it doesn't have as much scope and that sort of sense of realism or a realistic simulated world like GTA V does. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I love the combat in, in Sleeping Dogs. The The melee is just really good, and I like that you can yeah do all that crazy stuff when you're driving around the car, right? Um but yeah, I think on a desert island, I would probably want that expansive feel of, of GTA V. I, I, I just, I knew, after I thought about it for a while, I knew I wanted a game where I could just drive around a city with a gun and quote-unquote cause mischief. <laughs> Someone's going to be knocking on your door soon. <laughs> um, in, in a, just a purely just healthy kind of, cathartic way of, of uh yeah just letting off some steam and relaxing in a, in a safe virtual environment 
<laughs> for the days when your bird just won't listen in Skyloft and you and you need to take out some steam because you can't you can't kill the bird because yeah, then exactly. you won't be able to fly around. You'll have to just kill some pedestrians in GTA five. Exactly. Yeah. I just and you, it'll kind of remind me of of my life in the big city, you know. Not that I do any of the stuff that I do in GTA five in the big city, but there are times where I may just want to drive around in a car and obey traffic in GTA 5 and just say hi to people on the street too. The amount of times I tried to do that when working on that game, trying to follow the traffic laws, oh, <laughs> infuriating, infuriating. I know, but that's just like real life. So I'm going to yeah, maybe want to be reminded true. of that every now and then. Sometimes just that little bit of a connection to civilization can, can make a big yeah, difference. Yeah, exactly. So I, I pick well, my games. I pick my games to work together. Like that is, it is good. That's a good way to do it. it. As I always say on the show, it's not necessarily your favorite games, but the games that to you feel like they would fit in the situations you would get yourself into in a sort of deserted island. Yeah. What What do you need as a human being to cope with? The sense that you are deserted, you don't have people, and that you have these games that have given you comfort during your life anyway, um, but they can give you comfort and now also a kind of practical use to, you know, cause some, quote, mischief. Yeah, just <laughs> cause a little mischief, you know. Put put some, put some whoopee out. cushions down on the ground and things like that. That should be the quote on the box art. If Rockstar ever re-released GTA V, they should be like, Derek, you... Just cause some mischief. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good, it's a good tagline. It is. It's good. I like it. If I was in charge of PR, that would have been the box quote for sure. Yeah. Well, let, we're gonna, uh, we're still gonna be shooting people, but we are gonna have a, a complete juxtaposition from the gritty, well, not gritty, the humoristic but deadly mischief world of GTA Five. Um, and we're still gonna carry on shooting people, but this time we're gonna do it with paint, and we're gonna completely change the tone. And uh, mischief. We're still going to be causing mischief, but this, more in a sense, it's a, a bit more like actual mischief. Um, so why don't we listen to some excellent, because the soundtrack to this game is awesome. Let's listen to some excellent music from this next game. And let's dive straight into the second to last game on Derek's list. So the second to last game on Derek's list today, we are continuing with the mischief. This truly is childish mischief at its finest and one of Nintendo's most recent um, IPs to just blow up. It just works so well and appealed to so many people. And speaking of games that are extremely popular in Japan, 
I am someone who teaches English here in Japan, uh, part-time basis. Every kid I ever speak to about video games in Japan plays this game. Everyone plays this game. Which is crazy because obviously Wii U sales are not the greatest. Um, but this game seems to have taken just two children everywhere in Japan. It's developed by Nintendo EAD team and it was released in 2015, way back in May. And has become sort of its own Nintendo IP. I remember a lot of people off put originally by the sort of look of the characters and the and the, the sort of gameplay didn't seem to be as, I don't know, um, it didn't have as much variety as people thought it might. But it has become its own thing now. And even when we're looking to the Switch, we were looking at the Nintendo Switch advert. This game was featured in the advert for that game. So Nintendo obviously has a lot of faith in the power of this game. It is the third-person shooter that you all know what I'm talking about. Splatoon. Derek, second-to-last game is Splatoon. Why? It's such a good game. It's it's really a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I, I started playing it pretty recently, so I didn't play this one when it came out. I bought it, I think, pretty soon after it came out, but I didn't start playing it until last year because I was looking for something to play with my daughter who's now three and uh yeah i just i kind of wanted to get back into playing more video games we were talking at the beginning about how oh yeah a lot of times i just flop down on my bed and play something on my phone but i I did want to start playing more more console games and pc games and yeah so I, i picked splatoon back up and i had never really played it since i i got it because of becoming a parent and all that and uh yeah, once my daughter got old enough, I was like, I just want to find something that I can play in front of her. You know, I can't play Dark Souls in, in front of my toddler. <laughs> so Splatoon, yeah, I, I, I tried it and uh, I just got really, I just got really into it. And I, I it just became a, a lot of fun for me to play through the single player mode with my daughter and then also to do the, the multiplayer more when I was by myself, which is, I think, yeah, obviously what the game is based around is, is the multiplayer. And I think this is another game that shows off what Nintendo does really well. Uh, a lot of make a lot about making games is making connections between the different parts of the game. And Nintendo is very good at taking things that do not seem like they would fit together. And once they've put it together, it just seems perfect. And Splatoon is one of those games for me where it's got this awesome underwater theme and they've somehow connected that to paintball. And then they've also somehow connected both of those to fashion. To like urban skate culture. Urban skate. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, I, I have been to Japan and and I can, having walked around Tokyo, I can I can see where it comes from. But yeah, those three things, you just you wouldn't think of them all together before Nintendo put them together for you and yeah. use their Nintendo magic on it. And I just think it's so brilliant in that sense. And it's also just a really fun, you know, fairly casual, but you can get pretty pretty hardcore about it uh multiplayer 
there are definitely some hardcore split yeah there are definitely some hardcore splatoon players out there yeah like i i don't know that it has as much depth as some other games but i'm not i'm not really a hardcore online shooter player myself like i've i played them before like i played some battlefield i played uh one of the wolfenstein games one of the like newer wolfenstein games is really fun online um but yeah i generally don't play them too much or i don't get too hardcore into them but splatoon has been a lot of fun i could see myself playing it on and off for a long yeah for the rest of my life on this desert island I'm trying to because I haven't played Splatoon in a while. I don't know if it's sort of changed since I was playing it. Um, so it could be different from when you picked it up, but it did seem very limited in the gameplay. Um, do you think that it's sort of not the gameplay, but the obviously it didn't have that many modes. It had this single player mode that wasn't the most fleshed out, um, but obviously it was hardcore into the multiplayer. What? what makes Splatoon different in a sense that you have games that are based around movement, you have games that are based around shooting. Splatoon sort of combines both of those. Is it just sort of that Nintendo touch again that just makes Splatoon stand out above other things? Because as you said, you know, it doesn't really have the depth that other shooters might have. I would say for me, yeah, that does make a big difference. I really do like the mechanics of paint using paint to cover the the arena and it just being like i don't know i i guess i guess it is the nintendo magic but i think it's also just a very unique take on on shooters and it has not bothered me that there aren't too many modes because it feels like every time i play every time i play it's a little different it's very easy to just get dropped into a match um I think I, I do feel like maybe a big part of it is that I started playing this game with my daughter and she got really into it too. There is that. Uh, that's that's a benefit for me on this desert island where I'm going to be all alone. <laughs> I think in the same way that GTA <laughs> is maybe a, a link to to civilization, it, this is maybe a link to to my family. You know, w- wipe away, wipe away. It. A little tear there, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so I'm so sorry. I'm banishing you. Um, yes, you will be playing this on your own. <laughs> I'm, on I'm thinking island. about my emotional state too on this island. I think that's very important too to, to kind of keep my spirits up. I think I think it's an excellent game. I'm not the best person to judge what's like a really deep shooter or not. I just know that I have a lot of fun playing Splatoon. A big part of it is is the theme. A big part of it is that that Nintendo magic just tweaking things so that they feel just right. Um, you know, I you know I don't know how this works with your rules, but when I'm in the plaza in Splatoon, am I seeing the other characters, like the other players, walking around? Yeah, so I think for Splatoon, what I would say is that obviously the rules are you can have uh, you can have a game connected to the internet because these days, if I did limit to games without an internet connection, we'd be pretty much not talking about any game because most games have some sort of multiplayer attached to them these days. So 
And in terms of Splatoon, you can post a Miiverse and it pops up. So I would limit you to be unable to write to Miiverse because you could be writing down the coordinates of Skyloft for <laughs> people to come pick you up in a helicopter. So, But you can still see the other people in the plaza and you could also see their Miiverse posts as well. Oh man, can you imagine that? Just walking up to someone's Splatoon character in the plaza and just seeing like, help me with coordinates written on it. <laughs> Please come find me. I'm trapped in Skyloft. People would definitely not come. Actually, then again, if you did say that, no one would come and get it's you because everyone would think you you're just crazy. Yeah, no one would believe me. <laughs> but would I get to see other people's Miiverse posts? Yes, yes, you would. Yeah. Oh, okay, so yeah, I think it's a game that's designed pretty well for for a desert island because that's about the level of communication that you really have in in Splatoon. I, I actually appreciate the fact that there's very well, there's no communication. There is some actually. There's there's very little communication inside the game. Like you're relegated to a few macros. But yeah, I, I'm not an expert in this genre. I just really enjoy splatoon and yeah the, the modes that they have it seems like it'd be plenty for me uh what was i gonna well, say it's, it's it's endless multiplayer fun isn't it and you know that's the kind of thing that sometimes you also need on an island you need that connection to people online who when you look at another sort of squidling that is a real person that is another person that you are you, you're still slightly connected to in some way exactly and here's the thing about me. I'm not actually – my personality is such that I don't play games where you play 3,000 hours in one sitting. Like I, I'm not that type of person. I need a lot of variety. And I actually tend to prefer shorter game experiences that are just very tightly designed where it doesn't feel like there's any extra fat. Like, I like my games very lean for the most part. So with GTA V, yeah, it's a, a bit of an exception. And it's kind of like, well, that game, the whole point of it is to be this very fatty experience, right? So that's what it, it does well. But for the most part, I like, you know, I'm not a civilization player, right? Where you play a game of civilization and it's like 100 hours or something like that. I certainly respect that, and I considered picking games like that for this this Desert Island scenario, but I decided to stick with games that I actually do already play. I didn't want to pick games that I haven't played, but if I wasn't on if I was on a Desert Island, I'd play. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's sort of a good balance, and you have these games that give you shorter experiences, but also they have depth. You know, you have your bullet hell shooters, which you can get better at. You have GTA V, which is a game in a sense that it has a lot of fat to it, but it's also a game that allows you to just turn on, play one mission, turn off. Um, yep. Without, you know, oh, you could just turn it on and drive around for 10 minutes, causing mischief. Um, and then you have... Uh, Dark Souls, it, which is a bit more towards the fat, meaty side of things, but because it's a game that sometimes you can get stuck in one segment for a long time, it's something that you could play for 10 minutes, have a crack at, like a boss or something, and then be like, well, okay, maybe not today. And then, But you have these games that balance between short playtime and also giving you a lot of, a lot of replayability. 
So you've done well. Yeah, I, I regularly. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I regularly take breaks from Dark Souls for a few days before going back and playing, and I think that's the healthy way to play Dark Souls. It's not to just keep fighting that boss until you absolutely hate the experience. I think it's a game <laughs> that is meant to, yeah, it's meant to frustrate you, right? And that's something that so many, so many game developers are, are deathly afraid of is frustrating the player, but it's like two sides of, of a coin where the other side is just a lot of satisfaction when you do overcome a difficult challenge. So yeah, I, I I'm going to be taking breaks. I'm going to be training my, my bird and getting them to trust me. So, yeah. And then when they don't, you can take out your frustrations in GTA five and Splatoon. Exactly. By shooting people yeah. in the face. You can also shoot people in this next game as well, which as well is how GTA five is so different to Splatoon. Splatoon is so different to this next game as well, but it's definitely a game that you could also sort of short playtime, release some steam, shoot lots and lots of things and just have one hell of a good time. We are going to dive now into Derek's final game. final game on Derek's list today and what a list it's been it's a run and gun video game that was developed by SNK it was originally released in 2000 for the Neo Geo MVS arcade platform and has been ported to oh god every platform under the sun whether it's the PlayStation 2 in SNK collections Xbox Xbox Live virtual console PC iOS Android Wii PlayStation PlayStation 3 PlayStation 4 PlayStation it's been released everywhere so you can play it on any platform you wish it is one hell of a game and one I play, I play quite frequently uh, on my phone as well. It is the excellent Metal Slug 3. Derek, why is the last game that you're taking with you to Skyloft Metal Slug 3? Uh, I mean, Metal Th- Slug 3 is such an excellent game. It's a little bit similar to GTA 5 in the sense that it's not my favorite Metal Slug, actually. I actually prefer the first Metal Slug because it's a shorter game, I, I and I like that. I feel like an arcade game is best when it takes about half an hour or an hour to get through, and Metal Slug 1 kind of hits that perfect time length for me and the perfect sort of amount of challenge where I feel like I can I can keep playing it and, and try to beat it on one credit. Uh but, you know, I'm going to be on a desert island, so I'm going to take the 
the biggest one, the one that's got just the most stuff in it, but is still, in my mind, a legitimate Metal Slug game. I I don't like any of the Metal Slug games that came out after 3. And uh, I think 3 is the best Metal Slug as far as the presentation goes. It's just, I think it's got to be like the most beautiful pixel art game ever made. Right, <laughs> it's de- definitely up there. It's an excellent looking game. Yeah, I would have a hard time thinking of a more beautiful game. And I think the the extra length of this game would be would be good to have on the on the desert island, since I'm going to be playing it a lot. And it's got you know all those different branching paths and stuff that the first Metal Slug doesn't. So yeah, yeah, that's that's why I'm going to take it. It's yeah, great great run and gun game one of the best probably the best looking pixel art 2d run and gun out there so yeah i mean i can just appreciate just play to appreciate the artwork and we have the artwork and the music and it's funny because sometimes people's choices for me um when you think about i don't know aesthetically pleasing on both like a music and sort of art level it's just one of those games that you could just turn on and have on in the background just to sort of i don't know look at and just sort of relax to uh maybe not necessarily play um but just something to have as background noise (laughs) oh totally yeah i mean it's an arcade game too so it's got an attract mode and everything and i think it would actually be very comforting to just hear it on just hear hear those funny voices like rocket launcher and all that stuff <laughs> coming out of it. <laughs> all the, all the bullets sounds just flying off and just like you're walking into an arcade and you're hearing all of the sort of what is it the, the like previs uh, like cutscenes they show you before you actually start playing a game to represent the gameplay and just all the music and sounds going off. It could be really comforting. Yeah, totally. Like you, like you have your own your own little arcade. And also, if you sort of have like Super Punch Out running next to it at the same time, you have you definitely have like your own little arcade going. I think that's what I do is I would find one of the empty buildings in Skyloft and I would just set up my own little arcade. And yeah, I, I would just go there to play games. It just it'd be like a game room, and then I have my my bedroom somewhere else and <laughs> a little I don't know a little place for little... My, my bird to live. <laughs> the bird is the biggest part of this isn't it you're not really bothered about the game it's just the bird <laughs> <laughs> well i'm gonna sp- i'm gonna be spending a lot of time with the bird it's true <laughs> what would you what would you name the bird if you had to name it after a video game character as well sticking with the theme what would you name the bird oh man see this you threw me a curveball here because ah you didn't expect this did I you didn't get to plan this one Oh jeez! So it has to be for a name of a character from a video game. Yeah, like a character that means a lot to you. A character that means a lot to me from a video game. Or or a name of a character that you've particularly enjoyed. I mean, Spelunky Guy doesn't sound quite as catchy. Yeah, I don't think I would call it Spelunky Guy. <laughs> That's a very good question. Um, I don't think I've got a very good answer for that. What what are, what are the few that are floating around in your head right now? I don't know. I was thinking Zelda, maybe. 
Because <laughs> I do love I do love the Zelda games, especially the the first one. But I, I've got a lot of affection for the series. And but but if but if he's red, because the bird in Skyloft is like Link's bird is red. Right. Right. You could call him Ganon, I guess. You know, Ganon. That's pretty good. I like that. I, I I've always liked Ganon. I've always liked Ganondorf as as a character, but the name Ganondorf just sounds really strange. So it does. Ganon, nice, clean, and simple. Like when you're calling the bird, you can be like Ganon, Ganon, come here, Ganon. I like that. Ganon. <laughs> I'm gonna pick that. <laughs> okay, so you're going to Skyloft with all these wonderful games and Metal Slug Three. You're gonna have your own arcade room. You're gonna have a bird called Ganon. I think you're gonna have a good time. I think I am. I'm, you know, I've got plenty to do. I can train my bird and then fly around. And when I need a break, I've got some great games to play. I'm set. You are set. And Derek, it is that we come to the end of this now, and that we do have to send you on your way to the to the island to Skyloft. I I, I guess we have to call Ganon down to come pick you up. Yeah, it's going to be the. Uh... The return of Ganon, I guess. <laughs> bada bing, bada boom. Nah, nah. <laughs> and what a way to go. <laughs> Derek, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. Um, we've had so many requests to have you on, and it's finally happened. So thank you so much for taking the time to come onto the show today. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. So I don't know if you listened to the the end of Der- uh, Steve's episode, but there is one more question I do have to ask you that I have to ask all of my guests. And that is that if you are going to an island, you are taking eight games with you. And we have spoken about the, the island in which you are. We have to talk about consoles that mean a lot to you. And if you could take one console, just one, thinking and bearing in mind the whole back catalog of that console and every other console, if you could only take one console... What console would you take? Oh, man. You know, I did hear this part of Steve's session with you, but I I didn't prepare for it at all. I didn't think about it at all. I mean, the first console that does come to mind for me is the Super Nintendo. Um, I mean, that goes without saying, right? It's It's got such a great back catalog. It's such an excellent console. Uh, but we also have, you know... The Xbox 360 has an incredible library. The PlayStation 2, even the PlayStation 4 these days, such such a wide variety of titles. It's true, and, you know. So, am I getting the? Am I getting the? I'm getting the console, the whole library of games. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. Imagine if you could only take one console, and it was based on the back catalog and the console itself. And if I take a modern console, I'm getting all the games that are going to be made for it. No. Only up until this point. Oh, only what already exists. Because the PlayStation 4 could go on for the next 15 years and you could have like 2,000 games. We can't have that. that you, you, Skyloft is only so big. Right. That's, oh, that's tough. Oh, man, I'll just take the Super Nintendo. Because, yeah, I'm thinking... I mean, I, the PS2 is an awesome system, too. At the moment, though, I just don't feel like dealing with any console that has any kind of loading time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or needing to update or anything like that. Right. Like, I feel like... You have a lot of time on your hands, though. You're, you're on an island. It's you true. Could just, you could just listen to Super Punch-Out! music and uh, it could update. It's true. Well, let me think about my 
So I'm like, as far as the games that I picked, what consoles are they on? They're on a variety of consoles. They're on a variety. There's, there's no sort of solid one that you've st- stuck to. You know, you've got like the the PlayStation, Xbox era. You have, you've even got like a, a Neo Geo title. Um, you have a ASCII-based PC game. So it's, it's quite the variety. But the PC's not allowed, right? No, the PC is not allowed because you can emulate anything yeah. on a PC these days. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'll take the Super Nintendo. I think if I had the entire library of games, I would probably play JRPGs and, you know, everything that was available, right? Like, I, I purposefully didn't yeah. pick RPGs, you know, Japanese or otherwise, because I, I just don't really replay RPGs They have too a much. definitive... They have a definitive ending. Yeah, most of the time, right? And I, for me, they don't have too much replay value. Um, whereas, actually, with even a shorter arcade game, you can beat it, but you know you can keep kind of keep playing it a lot just to to get better and better at it. And I like that. But if it was a whole console and a whole library, then yeah, I'm gonna play all kinds of games. Yeah, I'll take the Super Nintendo. Excellent. So going with you, with those eight games, Ganon and the Super Nintendo, Derek, you are on your way to Skyloft. So thank you so much, Derek, for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. And, and it kicks off 2017 so superbly. So truly, thank you very much, Derek. Thank you. I'm actually not feeling too bad about my imprisonment with all this fun stuff. I'm going to miss my family and friends. But <laughs> <laughs> thank you for having you know, me. We, it's, I've, it's been a pleasure. Derek, please tell the wonderful people who have listened this far that where they can find you, one, on the internet. Also, what of yours they should be checking out? I imagine you have this this book I've been hearing a lot about as well. Yeah, check out the book. It's just called Spelunky. It's made by or it's published by Boss Fight Books. You can find me on Twitter and, and everywhere else as Mossmouth or on my website, DerekU.com. And uh yeah, as far as what I'm working on now, I haven't announced anything and I'm not quite ready, but I'm planning on announcing things this year. So just keep an eye out for that if you're interested. Keep an eye out. And if you haven't played Spelunky yet, go play Spelunky. You've heard it enough times on this show. You've heard enough devs praise it and it's appeared so many times. So it's it's worth your time. So if you haven't played Spelunky yet, go play Spelunky as well. Thank you. <laughs> I was hoping Derek would chime in and be like, "Yes, place Belunky." He just, he he's just too focused on his wonderful island that he's going to. <laughs> I, I would be very, I would be very happy if you checked out Spelunky. <laughs> but now that now that's signed and sealed in a book, that that chapter is has passed. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Thank you so much for listening to Final Games. You can check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, something else, Acast, every podcasting thing out there. Because everyone, every week, some some new person asks, why is the why is the show not on this platform? Because I don't know, there are about a hundred different podcasting um, apps and stuff. But it's pretty much in everything from iPhone to Android. Um, you can also check it mostly on SoundCloud. You can also follow us on Twitter at Final Game Show. You can also follow me if you've liked hearing my voice uh, at Liam BME. Thank you so much for listening to Final Games. And don't forget, you can rate and review as well. And you can also email finalgames 
podcast at gmail.com if you have any inquiries or anything. So thank you once again for listening, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Goodbye.